technology, and I can't do anything with these, so. It's on. I can use a microphone otherwise. Well, it's good it's not me. Maybe you're coming in now? A little bit? All right. I couldn't help but think of Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love toward us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's a beautiful thing to think about and be humbled by. I think we got it, so good job. All right. Well, thank you, Lord. How's that? Let's go ahead and pray if we would. Father, I thank you for your love, and even as the song was sung, uh, you died, and uh, you died for us. And uh, we have much to be thankful for, very much. Lord, I pray that you would just help to calm my spirit this morning and just uh, to share what you've had on my heart, what I've been preparing for. And Lord, that we just uh, see your love in action as we study the uh, fruit of the spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know me, I'm Kurt Sorensen, so I'm one of the elders here at church. And uh, we, when pastor is gone, we take turns sometimes to fill in. So I think this might be the first time I've ever done Sunday morning. So I know a number of you have been praying for me, and I certainly do appreciate that. Um, it's always interesting in how do we choose subjects, too, when we preach for, you know, I know that we like to go verse by verse. And last week, Burke is going to be preaching this evening, and when we talked last week, we said, what are you preaching on? And so he said, Galatians 2, or Galatians, and I said, oh, you're not teaching on the fruit of the Spirit, are you? So we almost hit the same, but it's a little different, so come back tonight, and you can probably hear a little bit more background in Galatians, but uh, appreciate Burke's spirit as well. All right, so just a little background in terms of why did I pick this text? I guess just over the last few years, um, I've had the opportunity just to talk to a number of people that have been struggling with some things and going through some things. And this is the text that I have been going to of late, I guess, just to share. And we think about the, uh, the comparison between the, the flesh, the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. And I always felt like it's a good gut check, I'll call it, to see. One of the questions I might ask is, is uh, as we read through the Scripture here, where do you see most of your time, most of your mind and actions and thoughts? Are they hanging in that blend that we call the works of the flesh? Or are they more focused on the fruit of the Spirit, godly attributes? And it's always a good, uh, like I said, it's kind of a good gut check for, for, for both of us as we talk, just to see where are they at and what may need to be changed in their lives. I found that it's easy to give counsel. It's easy to tell somebody what to do, isn't it? Um, and uh, even this morning, as you know, in a sermon, if you ever sat beside your wife or whatever, and you kind of might get a nudge once in a while, say, I hope you're hearing this, you know? Or you think of somebody else. But um, I went on to read Galatians 6. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians 5 this morning. But it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And I think that's a key thing here, is, it, it, is we correct one another, we help one another in a spirit of gentleness. And then I, um, 
as we looked at that verse as well, it says that we should, you know, uh, let me read it again here. You who are spiritual should restore them. Uh, keep watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. We don't want to be conceited or arrogant or think that we're better than another when we do work with somebody or try to correct. It can be easy to do, though, to say, well, I'm sure I'm glad I'm not struggling with that. And I think that little phrase, by the grace of God go I, is so true that we all can be uh, fall into certain things. So never be conceited about those things as we talk. Galatians 6, 2 says that we ought to bear one another's burdens, and that is true. The word is good. It's not just for the elders and the pastors to share with one another, but each one of us as believers can help each other and bear each other's burdens. And then Galatians 6, 4 says, but let each one test his own work. And it was kind of convicting to me because while, we use, while I've used those verses to share with others, it's also kind of a self-examination. If it says, you who are spiritual... Well, am I always spiritual? You know, so I kind of want to approach this today as saying, let's look at this scripture together and evaluate it, kind of do a self-exam even amongst ourselves as as we listen and participate, um, because it is good to do that once in a while. All right, so anyway, that was kind of the background and why this text is special, dear to my heart. and as I've said, you know, we're going to be talking about the flesh and the spirit. And I just entitled this, The Struggle is Real. It, it is very much so, The Struggle is Real. So if you want to turn with me to chapter 5, um, I want to give you just a brief background in the context of what Galatians is, is Paul is dealing with here with the Galatians. Um, the Christians in Galatia were being bombarded with those things. Uh, those that wanted to bring back legalism into the church. They were believers, but yet there were some that were coming into the church and saying, it's not sufficient. Grace through faith is not sufficient in your lives in the church. We need to bring in other certain components. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. That yoke of bondage, what was it? Well, in this case, it was circumcision. They wanted to bring back the the Judaizers version of, of, of the law. And they said, grace through faith, but you also have to be circumcised. You had to introduce back some of the Old Testament laws and legalism. And I think this is a key verse in uh, Galatians that expresses not to fall back into the legalism of the law. Um, it helps us to understand the liberty that we have in Christ. Um, if you didn't realize that there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. So just think, if you want to bring back one, you really have to bring back all 613. That does not sound very uh, easy to follow, does it? And it puts us back into a yoke of slavery. But we have freedom. We have freedom from the bondage of the law, and we are free from any legalistic system. Christ made salvation available by grace based on faith alone. Paul also asked in chapter 5 of uh, Galatians in verse 7, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. In verse 13, Paul also says, You do not only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here Paul introduces the importance of love, And we're going to look at this more as we get into the actual fruit of the Spirit verses in uh, uh, verse 22. So, 
now it's time to get into the text. Let me go ahead and put up the first slide. All right, we're not doing too good with the truth. There we go. Great. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what is the solution? Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Walk in the spirit. I wish I could take time to interact and ask each of you, what does that mean? But we're going to give you some, some hints here as we go along. But Paul already addressed the Galatians as fellow brethren in verse 13. The Holy Spirit was living in each of the believers. The Holy Spirit is part of the triune God and has given initially and was given initially in Acts. And now we know that as each of us have accepted Christ as our Savior, at that moment we now possess the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living within each of us. Romans 8 9, I have that verse on the, the screen there as well, says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. All Christians have the Holy Spirit, and that's a blessing. That is great. And we are to walk in the Spirit. This phrase reflects action on our part. How many walkers do we have? Does anyone like to walk out there at night? Yeah, it takes action, doesn't it? You can't sit in your easy chair and say, I think I, I'm just going to think about walking tonight. No, that's not how it works. We have to get up out of our chair. We have to act on it. We have to walk. And that's what we're talking about here. It's a continual, it's an active thing. And we look to the Spirit to guide us and we follow Him. So how do we do this? One way is by yielding ourselves to the Word of God. The Word of God provides direction. And when we obey God's Word... We are walking in the Spirit. Walking also implies progress. And I think this really refers to our sanctification. As we continue to walk, we continue to learn, we continue to be sanctified in our life. Um, we continue to grow. And really, we are imitators of Christ. I always like that as a definition of a disciple. If you're a disciple, you are a follower of someone. And if for us, we are disciples of Christ. We are followers of Christ, and we should try to emulate him in all that we do. Go to the next verse here. Thank you. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, bottom line is, the spirit-filled life and the word-filled life are synonymous. They're really the same. To walk according to the word is to walk according to the spirit. When we walk in the spirit, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh can also be referred to as the desires of the flesh. The flesh desires to sin, to gratify itself, which is contrary to love. Here we see the real issue at hand. Are we going to uh, give in to our fleshly desires? Or are we going to follow and be in step with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit there is there to guide us, and that's a great thing. He guides us in the path of righteousness, while the flesh takes, on, takes us on the road of sin. Galatians 5.17. I'll just let you all... Click it up there. There we go. Thank you. 517 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. 
and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. All right, I got to just do another gut check here. Does anyone else have the struggle with these verses in our in your life? Anyone? Any hands? Do we struggle with the flesh and the spirit? If I didn't see some hands, we were just going to call it a day and go home, right? But I think it's applicable for all of us, right? We all struggle with these things. If we're human, we have eyes. We see things. We confess our sins. We, we want to act out on those things. Uh, Paul even says in Romans 7, verses 15 through 16, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. The struggle is real. Even Paul, we don't often think about the apostles going through some of these struggles, do we? We always put them up on a pedestal. And yet Paul here says, you know what, folks? I do the things that I don't want to do. So we're in good company. Now, that shouldn't be an acceptance of sin, right? But we are in good company, saying we are all human. We all go through this. And it's how we handle it from there is, is the key thing. So verse 17 expresses the why we need to walk in the Spirit. Our desire for the flesh can still prevent us from doing what the Spirit wants us to do. Even when we know the solution, we will struggle. Note also that Galatians 5.17 says that the flesh and the Spirit are contrary to one another. As believers, part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. I think of it as kind of like, have you ever taken water and dropped a few drops of oil in it? What happens? They're contrary to one another. They don't mix. Well, that's the way we see this. Uh, the spirit and the flesh are opposing. They are contrary. And the struggle here is, is that the world wants to normalize the fleshly desires. As seen in, we're going to look more in the verses in 19 through 21. And in some ways, some of the actions are even legalized within our system. We think about abortion. We think about some of the, the things that are being allowed today that we call legal, but yet they are not moral. So just because they're legal, you don't follow those things. And I think that's also what we're talking about here. It's not acceptable behavior as a, as a Christian. And we should sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Galatians 5.18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. As believers, we are led by the Spirit. You're going to hear that a lot today. Uh, the question is, are we following? Isn't that a good question? We're led by the Spirit, but if you're being led, you have two choices. You can follow, or you can fall behind and not follow. The Spirit guides a believer, especially regarding love, which is being contrasted here with the law. We need, I think we need to take verse 16 and marry it up with 18. So it would say something like this. The Spirit is leading us, and by faith I am walking in the ways of the Spirit. I am choosing not to fall back to the law, which leads me to the flesh and sin. I recently read a short article uh, about a football team, and I'm gonna, it's going to be remain unnamed. It's, it's, it's a team that I like to follow. As they've gone through some struggles over the last five years, maybe more like 20 years, I guess, it's been a longer time, so if that gives you a hint with it. But they were interviewing a player, and I thought he summed it up pretty good. Uh, he was being interviewed, and the question was, why did things go wrong with this team and keep getting worse? And his reply was this. It just felt like one, two, three, maybe a handful of things were not authentic. They weren't genuine. 
And over time, those things stack up. And you know, you take one step off your path, and you can get one step back on. That's true. But you take one step off your path, and you don't realize you're off the path, and you take 100 more steps, now you're way off the path. And that's what I've kind of felt like what happened at this university, all right? Some of you might know who that is. But I thought that was pretty comparable to the scripture here because it was insightful. When we are led by the Spirit, we will be convicted by the Spirit, right? That one step off. And in this case, we'll recognize when you take one step off the path. And I think of 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we take that one step off and we get convicted, man, confess your sin, get right back on the path. Be, be led by the Spirit, right? And get back on. We should not continue to walk in the flesh. It's when we abandon the Spirit's leading and we start walking that hundred steps away from the path that the Spirit is leading us, that's when we start to stray far away from holiness, and that further complicates a Spirit-filled life. This further demonstrates the idea that walking in the flesh is contrary to walking in the spirit. And I think it's a practical, uh, just a practical event that I, that I read that we can apply. Another truth here that I see is the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to the believer. You know, the spirit is ever leading so that we can have victory over the flesh. Isn't that a great thing? We can and should follow the spirit daily in our walk which will lead us to apply his love to our daily battles that we face. The battle that's been described so far is, uh, is now going to be described in more detail. And if we look at in verses 19 through 21, we'll read those. Let's go ahead and flip to that. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't even like to read those words, honestly, when you read those things. It's just, you just feel dirty reading those, don't you? Uh, Right now, I do want to say, um, as we come up to some definitions that I'll share with you, um, I want to say thanks to Pastor Dwight for all of his BBS commentaries. When I teach or preach, a lot of times I'll use his commentaries. And, you know, now that this section here, I'm kind of getting into a few definitions. There's only so many ways you can define a word or, or say things. So I just rely on his, his wisdom and some things that he's put in. I'll look at uh, Warren Wearsby, and I'll look at a number of other commentaries as we go. But I really appreciate all the work that he's diligently done for us as a body as well. So uh, just know that if I don't put him up on the, the quotes, there's many of them that are there from him. And, and he's already said, just use it, Kurt, you know, so don't worry about it. So I'm, I'm not a plagiarizer, I'll just say that. That would be going against the spirit. So I'm going to break this into four categories, and we're going to look at sexual sins, superstitious sins, strife sins, and social sins. And again, this list isn't even exhaustive. So, you know, there's many, many more out there that I'm sure have been created or that we can create or that's being practiced. Um, and there's similar lists in the New Testament that you can look at. 
Matthew 15, Mark 7, Romans 1. We oftentimes go to Romans 1 as we talk about, you know, sin. Romans 13, and, and many other sources, if you're interested, I can provide those. So the sexual sin, sexual immorality, sometimes called adultery. It's a sexual violation of the marriage covenant. Impurity is the Greek word pornea. We get the word uh, pornography from this word. Um, sensuality, that which is impure, that which defiles and makes one unfit to approach God. It refers to defilement and filthiness and can describe what is gross, repulsive, and perverted. It can include suggestive humor and other perverted forms. So we really could probably say that this is a pretty good definitions of the world that we live in right now, isn't it? Uh, it's all around us. The pornography, the, the different sexual things that you see on TV and the movies. So I, I look at this and say, you know, the lures of media and the internet can be overwhelming. And uh, we really need to safeguard what we put into our minds and into our children's minds. It's a good reminder for us in our homes to be careful what we talk about, what we see, what we allow to be seen. Uh, it, that struggle is real, and we all face it every day. Then we have the superstitious sins of idolatry and sorcery. Now, you might think, well, we don't have a lot of that around uh, Council Bluffs places. But listen to the definition of idolatry. It is the worship of anything else other than the God of the Bible. It is anything one is more devoted to than God himself. Notice I didn't say it's a wooden creature or it's a stone or something else, right? It's anything that uh, one is more devoted to than God himself. We can make idols out of a lot of different things, events, circumstances, hobbies, whatever it is. We have to be careful even in those things. And then we see sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia, from which we get our English word pharmacy. And it involves the practice of magic or witchcraft. It can involve potions or drugs. Uh, the mixture of drugs and demons is in view here. Um, you know, I've even seen, I think, football players talking, I can't remember who it was, but, you know, talking about using mushrooms for psychedelics. Or even locally, I've seen at different times, uh, uh, especially around Halloween, where a local coffee shop was having a psychic reader or a palm reader or a necromancer or whatever it was. So there is definitely people are searching for something in this world. And we don't think about these from a Christian perspective that we would do this. But it is there, and it's, it's right in front of our eyes many times. Uh, Ouija boards and horoscopes all having to do with the underworld of the occult. And this is one of the great sins emphasized in relation in the last days in the book of Revelation as well. Revelation 9, chapter 18, 21, and 22. Then we get into the strife sins. And maybe some of these, uh, you know, as we listen, maybe some of these are more um, in line with what we do. I don't know. It, it's possible. Everyone's different. We have the strife sins of enmity, which is the opposite of love. It hatefully wishes people harm and death. Now, we don't think of that too much, but you know what? There are some times where maybe a person says, I hope they don't succeed, or I wish them harm in some way. I hope not, but that is, is one of the strife sins. Strife itself refers to quarrelsomeness. It's marked by rivalry, discord, and wrangling. Jealousy. This is related to the word zeal, only with a negative meaning. 
It's a, it is passionate and sinfully jealous and notes selfish rivalry. Then we have fits of anger. I could ask if there's anyone that has anger problems out there and probably get a few hands, but, uh, but we know that uh, that is one of the sins of the flesh. And we have an opposite one that we'll deal with in, when we get to the uh, fruit of the spirit. But it denotes a short temper. It's uncontrolled rage. Rivalries is selfishness. It's self-centered strivings to be number one. Dissensions means to stand apart. It refers to divisions and splits. Um, those involved in this sin incite rebellion against authority or the truth, which causes the division. In churches, sometimes you might say a church split can be caused through dissensions. Divisions is closely related uh, to dissensions. Heresies literally means parties. It refers to parties or groups that develop when dissensions take place. They are the cliques formed around men with self-willed opinions. And then we have envy, which is wrong desires to have what belongs to someone else. It is also very closely related to the word jealous. And the word envy is always used in a bad sense. Uh, I've never heard it once used in a good sense of you. This attitude is not happy for the success and prosperity of others because it wants it, wants for, it, wants it for itself. And then we have the social sins of drunkenness and orgies. They really go hand in hand together, or they can. Drunkenness is being intoxicated or overindulgent in strong drinks, while orgies is just drunkenness and orgies are, again, closely related. It it's refers to wild drunken parties. And then there's that little phrase that says, in things like this. So this list is not all encompassing or exhausting. But this is how the flesh operates and defines. Um, Paul finishes these verses regarding the flesh with a warning. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this wasn't the first time that Paul gave such a warning. Uh, do you ever give your kids warnings like that? Uh, certain things. You might even say some of the things that we just read. Don't be doing this. Or get home by midnight. We give warnings all the time, don't we? Um, for believers, we will not walk in, in the flesh on a continual or active basis. And I think that's what this is saying. My desire will not be to stay encamped in the fleshly desires. That's not how I would walk. If I'm walking there every day, never focused anything on the spirit, it probably means I'm not saved. I mean, that's the bottom line to it. Uh, we may struggle with these sins, but our daily walk, our daily walk in the Spirit should drive us towards God in those things. The Holy Spirit, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us. So we never want to stay in the flesh. Never. Those that continually walk in the flesh, as I've, as I've mentioned, those who continue to practice these sins as a way of life and don't show any of the fruit of the Spirit will not inherit the kingdom. And like I said, they really are not saved. That's the bottom line. They've never been born again. It's not that we've lost our salvation. It's they've never been born again uh, to continue to stay in, in that. Uh, they are flesh controlled all the way. Paul warned the Galatians in verse 13 that while you've been called to liberty, do not use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, which is the first virtue and the fruit of the spirit, serve one another. Um, I had a verse, 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. 
And it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I love verse 11. And such were some of you. Wow, isn't that a blessing? Such were some of you, some of us. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 here shows that contrast between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. And again, and such were some of you. I think sometimes we probably spend too much time thinking about what we were and not what we are. Right? It's a key thing. We want to look forward, look forward to the leading of the Spirit, not into the leading of the flesh. And this is a key to the liberty that Paul was describing earlier in Galatians chapter 5. While we have liberty, we don't want to fall back and walk in the flesh as a pattern of our life. So now we have a nice transition into the fruit of the Spirit verses. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide here and we'll, we'll read the Galatians 5.22 again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That little word, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is great transition word. We often kind of joke about that, but it, it is a great one. We're now transitioning from the ugly works of the flesh to the beautiful fruit of the Spirit. Paul already exhorted the Galatians to walk in the Spirit, verse 16, and he stated that we are led by the Spirit, verse 18. So now the next verses show the result of that fruit that are produced when the believer follows the leading of the Spirit. That word fruit is singular. It is the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruits. Can I have the next slide up there with a slide with a John MacArthur? One more. Thank you. John MacArthur said this as a definition of the fruit of the Spirit. Godly attitudes that characterize the lives of only those who belong to God by faith in Christ and possess the Spirit of God. The Spirit produces fruit which consists of nine characteristics or attitudes that are inextricably linked with each and are commanded of believers throughout the New Testament. I thought that was a pretty good definition. I know that um, I've listened to uh, John MacArthur and read, I have a study Bible I use a lot. And in preparing for this, I was kind of multitasking at work and I had about, if you ever go into uh, Grace to You and look at his sermons, he might have 12 sermons out there for Galatians 5. So I listened to about eight of them and just got some, you know, was letting my mind meditate on some of those things. But he had one illustration that I'm going to steal, and I thought it was really helpful. And maybe you can even think about it the next time you see a, a beautiful bouquet of flowers. If you think about the, the fruit of the Spirit as representing one bouquet, the fruit, that is it. And, you know, within that arrangement, you might have roses and carnations and different types of flowers in there. And they would each represent one of the attributes of the fruit. That wholly, they make up a beautiful bouquet. When you're younger in Christ, we, not, we, we are not fully understanding yet, but we should be exhibiting that fruit. And as you think about it, a lot of times in those bouquets, it might just be barely budding out yet. But if you look at that in the long term of our life, as that arrangement grows and as those flowers grow, they become fuller and they blossom. 
And I think in terms of the Christian life, as we are led by the Spirit and we follow the Spirit, that ought to be our life. Our life ought to be a blooming bouquet of flowers as you think about it, as you talk with people, as you live your life, whether it be at work, at home, or in difficult situations where you might think you're going to raise your, your voice or, or show fits of anger time or something like that. Just step back. Think about the fruit of the Spirit and what we have in Him. We want to be a reflection of what God uh, is. One more slide here with a Warren Wiersbe quote. And I think this is a good one. He's comparing the fruit, and I'm sure it's, it's pretty small there, a little bit. He's comparing the fruit of the Spirit uh, with the flesh that was described in verse 19. The contrast between works and fruit is important. A machine and a factory works and turns out a product, but it could never manufacture fruit. Fruit must grow out of life, and in the case of the believer, it is the life of the Spirit, as shown in Galatians 5.25. When you think of works, you think of effort, labor, strain, and toil. But when you think of fruit, you think of beauty, quietness, the unfolding of life. The flesh produces dead works, but the spirit produces living fruit, and this fruit has in its seed for still more fruit. Love begets more love. Joy helps to produce more joy. Jesus is concerned that we produce fruit, more fruit, and much fruit in our lives, because this is the way that we glorify him. The old nature cannot produce fruit, only the new nature can do that. So simply stated, the fruit of the Spirit is essential Christ-likeness. Jesus is the supreme example of each aspect of the fruit mentioned. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God being expressed through a person. We are simply the channels through whom the Spirit expresses himself in that fruit. So we're going to look at the first one, love. This is the Greek word agape, and it means divine love. Uh, it is God's gift to us. It is sacrificial love and seeks the other's highest good. It is said that all the other fruit is really an outgrowth of love. I have three verses if you want to advance to the next one there. Romans 5.8, I actually said that after the special this morning. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's the ultimate description of agape love. It's, it's Christ giving up his own life. In John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The second attribute is joy, and is, uh, joy is that inward peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances. It is the celebration of the soul grounded in relationship with God and the things of God. Sometimes we think of joy and happiness being interchangeable, but they really aren't. Happiness is dependent upon a circumstance. Something happens that makes me happy, but it's very fleeting in life. It's not sustaining. But joy, the key thing there is it's dependent upon the Lord. And it rejoices in him no matter the circumstance. The next slide shows Philippians 4.4, 4, which says, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And I think that's key. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes? No, always. And I think we do that with the help of the Spirit in our lives, right? Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. In 1 Peter 1.8, Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing. You rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. All right, I have one more sports story, and I, I couldn't help but read this. I, I ran across it just in looking at some of the news articles. And, and Greg, I thought of you as the uh, Oklahoma fan. And I almost became an Oklahoma Sooner, but I'm not going to go that far, all right? But I don't know if you've followed the softball team, and they won their third championship. And they interviewed three of the ladies there. And I was so impressed with the interview. So I'm going to read the account of this. The ESPN reporter starts out, You talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time. Uh, an ESPN reporter asked several women on the team at a press conference Thursday. So how do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? So... I think the ESPN reporter probably was pretty surprised at the answer. Well, the only way that you can have joy, heavy joy that doesn't fade away, is from the Lord, infielder Grace Lyons responded. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it, but if it was the other way around, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, those moments and friendships, Lyons said. That's really the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that uh, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game is. The next individual, her name is uh, Jada Coleman. She said, a thousand percent agree with you, Grace Lyons. And then Coleman went on to say that when the team had won the championship her freshman year, she was so happy, but she didn't feel joy. I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that, Coleman said. A little bit later on, it says, uh, you can't find fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And this was the third player, Brito said, I think that's why we are so steady in what we do and our love for each other and our love for the same game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to do what? To play softball? No, she said. It's giving us the opportunity to glorify God. They had a platform that they took advantage of and that they're sharing Christ. Brito said that once she turned to Jesus, and that was a missing fact between happiness and joy, that uh, once she turned to Jesus, her outlook on life as well as on, foot, on softball changed, and she understood how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. So I was really appreciated that testimony that they had. I'm sure that the ESPN announcer was probably surprised at that action, but it's good to hear sometimes that in real life. And I think about joy even in our own lives. We think about the difficulties that we go through, and they may not be fun, but yet it's always good to know that you lean on your faith, you lean on what Christ has done, and that you truly can say, this is temporary, but I have the joy from the Lord. And we want to be a joyful people. That is one of the things that the fruit gives us, is joy. The third item is peace. Warren Wiersbe says, love and joy go together, uh, and they produce peace. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is the next verse. And he, uh, 
and it is on the slide if you have it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think peace is one of those things that it's it's great to go to bed at night, to lay your head on your pillow, and to be at peace with the Lord. There's nothing like it. You can fall asleep pretty fast, at least I can. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm tired. But it also has a certain sense that says, I'm at peace with the Lord. I'm right with the Lord. And we want to be right with one another, but we most assuredly want to be right with the Lord. He can give us that peace. The next attribute is long-suffering, or patience, as it's called. Has anyone ever paid, prayed for pray, patience? Yeah, sometimes that's a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? Because you might get it. But, you know what? We pray for it, but you realize the Holy Spirit already provides it to us. And I think sometimes we don't totally understand what the Spirit provides to us already. We have it. He gives us that patience. We have to just rely on Him. Don't try to be patient within yourself. Think about Christ, how patient and loving kind He, he is to us. Uh, and it means to be long-tempered. It's the opposite of being short-tempered. It endures injuries inflicted by others and the willingness to accept irritating or painful situations. It does not retaliate or lash out. It patiently accepts God's agenda, whatever it involves, and instead of insisting on its own agenda. That can be a tough one sometimes. Kindness, to show tender concern. That's what that means. It treats others gently and expresses a kindly disposition it is a gentler, kinder disposition that shows concern and sympathy. Then we have goodness. It's love in action. It refers to that inner goodness and moral excellence that can indicate generosity. It is a moral and spiritual excellence manifested in active kindness. Faithfulness, loyalty, and trustworthiness. It includes being reliable and dependable. Isn't it great if you could say that you have a faithful friend we have faithful Lord and Savior. He hears us, and he wants the best for us. But even in our relationships, faithfulness, that is a great thing to have. And then gentleness. We have two more to go. Gentleness is gentle submissiveness. It is controlled strength or power under control. It's sometimes called meekness, but it should not be considered weakness. Did you catch that? Sometimes called meekness, but it should not be considered weakness. It's holding your tongue when you really want to say what you think. And instead, when you submit to the Spirit, you'll be guided to act with gentleness. The last item is spirit control. This refers to self-restraint and keeping yourself in check. It restrains passion and appetites. And, you know, when I think about self-control, I was thinking, self-control, spirit-led. You know, sometimes I don't know that I have the capability to always be self-control. I kind of would rather relabel that one to spirit control, honestly, because <laughs> my flesh sometimes still wants to be going to do other things, quite frankly. But we know with the spirit's leading, we can say no to those things that we want to go do. So I think of self-control as also being spirit-controlled, because we can't do it within ourselves. We have to rely on the spirit to say no sometimes to our fleshly desires. Against which there is no law. There's one more slide that I have from John MacArthur, just a quick definition. 
When a Christian walks by the Spirit and manifests his fruit, he needs no external law to produce the attitudes and behavior that please God. Does that make sense? We don't have to have a legalistic system that says, well, this means you're a Christian if you follow this, do this, and this. Simply be led by the Spirit. Do those things that are pleasing to him, that are attributes and reflection of Christ. Romans 8, 4 says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, there is one caveat here that I want to just make sure that we all understand as a Christian. We each can and will exhibit all these attitudes uh, and godly characteristics in our life when we rely on the Spirit to produce them in us. This is not like the spiritual gifts that maybe you get one or two, but we get all of them. You don't get to pick three out of the nine. Say, well, that's all I'm going to do. No, this is the whole package. Think of that bouquet of flowers. You get the whole thing. Now it's up to us to live like Christ, to reflect him in our life. So the spiritual gifts, we may have unique gifts, but for the Christian, all of these that we're talking about today are represented in the Spirit and are available to us, and we should be demonstrating those in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is for all believers. Paul's just outlined for us the contrast between the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Our lives are to be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit produces fruit, who gets the glory? It's God. God gets the glory. And the Christian is not conscious of his own spirituality. But when the flesh is at work, the person is inwardly proud of himself and is pleased when others compliment him. The work of the Spirit is to make us more like Christ for his glory and not for the praise of men. And sometimes that can be difficult, can it? Galatians 5.24, just about ready to wrap up. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, the whole section's shown the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And prior to salvation, our position was totally in the works of the flesh, wasn't it? But what happened at the time of salvation? By faith, we said yes to Christ, and the Spirit came into our lives. I think another way to say this is that it truly shows the repentance in our lives. We don't want to do what we were doing, right? So that repentance means to have a turn, 180-degree turn says, I no longer want to dwell in that, that lifestyle, but I want to follow Christ. We're saying no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. We no longer live in the flesh, but our desire and practice is to submit to the Spirit. The flesh has been crucified, and it no longer has any power to control us. We no longer submit to the flesh because we now have the Spirit, and the Spirit is the living power and authority in our lives. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I think I have one, one maybe two more quotes from Warren Wearsby, and this is on the next slide. Fruit grows in a climate blessed with an abundance of the Spirit and the Word. Walk in the Spirit means keep in step with the Spirit, not to run ahead, not to lag behind. This involves the Word, prayer, worship, praise, and fellowship with God's people. It also means pulling out the weeds so that the seed of the word can take root and bear fruit. The Judaizers, the Judaizers here were anxious for praise and vainglory, and this led to competition and division. Fruit can never grow in that kind of an atmosphere. And in Galatians 
Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Again, Paul notes throughout this that the struggle between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit is real. Paul exhorts the Galatians not to fall back into the legalism. Uh, walking in the Spirit is all about the Spirit, whereas living according to the flesh is all about self. That word conceited is literally vainglory. Uh, it literally means uh, it's, it's empty boasting that is self-centered and arrogant. When we provoke one another, we really don't seek to build up the other person, do we? We're kind of tearing them down. So it's the opposite of, of, of things that we should be doing, edifying them, but instead we tear them down. We've already talked about envy, that it was uh, one of the works of the flesh, and it's always used in a bad sense. So Paul is saying that we should not be absorbed with the traits of the flesh, which are self-oriented, and are the opposite of being led by the Spirit. Instead, we should be in step with the Spirit, yielding the fruit of the Spirit, which edifies others. The last slide, this is the final wrap-up, just a few reminders to us for application. The fruit of the Spirit is always others-focused. We must remember that this fruit is produced to be eaten, not to be admired and put on display. People around us are starving for love, joy, peace, and all the other graces of the Spirit. When they find them in our lives, they know that we have something they lack. We do not bear fruit for our own consumption. We bear fruit that others might be fed and helped, and that Christ might be glorified. And that was just a comment from Warren Wiersbe that I thought was pertinent here. The second point, when we walk in the Spirit, we are reflecting the attributes of God. We could go through here and say, God is love. He is joy. He is peace. God is long-suffering. He is kind. God is good. God is faithful. He is gentle. And he's self-control. I think about just in our daily lives. Wouldn't that be great if, you know, if somebody maybe came up to you and said, you know, your child... He, they really are faithful. They're joyful. They uh, are very kind. Or even in our lives, as that would be a description, I'd way rather have these things written on my tombstone than, than the fruit of, or the work of the flesh, wouldn't you? You know, that'd be terrible to say, that guy is so angry, I could never work with him. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's a reflection of God in our lives. And we ought to strive for that every day, whether it be in a a time of calmness or a time of crisis, we can be a reflection of him. Third item, when we walk in the spirit, we ultimately are giving God the glory. It isn't about us, but it's all about being holy and being like him. So thank you this morning. And I guess I just close with just saying, let's be a reflection of God so that he gets the glory. Can't why don't you come lead us and then uh, close us out for the day in prayer.